Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Down there, wide open's Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Did anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. All right, gang, welcome back. It is First and in Inches. I am Patrick Smith. This is Ryan Sibilia. We're coming at you with a Week 10 recap, and we are sponsored by Milwaukee Tool, nothing but heavy duty. Welcome, Ryan. How are you doing tonight? I'm great, Patrick. Excited to be on. Uh, I don't think one can replace a Kevin Wise, much like Gary Vertier of the Remember the Titans, but we'll do our best to replace him and uh, do his memory, uh, you know, honor him as best we can. Yeah, you know, Kevin can't be with us tonight. He's got his nose in the books like a good student should, but that won't stop us Ryan and I from breaking down this week 10 slate because man there were some crazy games we got some crazy results and I think we got some things to talk about and as Gary Bertier would say let's get a little left side strong side going on as we break down the games Ryan where would you like to start tonight well I mean I think everyone thought we would be talking UGA Tennessee but that took a back seat I think we got to hit Bama LSU and that nail biter in Baton Rouge which was just incredible I am not opposed I think that's probably the one that shakes things up here the most I mean Tennessee Georgia we knew one of those teams were going down LSU Bama I'm not sure many people saw this one coming 13 and a half point spread I think is where it kind of closed um but lsu walks away with this one um ryan i don't know i didn't see this one coming what about you no no not at all um i mean i was rooting for lsu uh i i I think i can speak for most people out there we all um take extreme joy in seeing nick saban's depressed face at the end of a football game and the fact that we've got that twice this year is is awesome but i did not expect it to be from lsu um especially after the thrashing that they took from tennessee uh, for Brian Kelly to rally the troops um, and not go all purple face on them is, is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, quite quite I mean, the showing. Uh, Jane Daniels, the way he was able to just be so versatile, right, and really um, give Alabama fits on the ground, 97 yards rushing, uh, touchdown, 18 carries. Um, that's that's pretty awesome. And that's what you have to do to beat Bama is there has to be that weird X factor that you don't want – that you don't normally account for. Yeah, I mean, this game was – a game that LSU certainly was never out of were 
basically neck and neck with Bama the whole way through this game um, and looked like a really good football team throughout. You know, they played at home. Um, the crowd definitely helped. Um, and, you know, end of the game there, Brian Kelly with, man, the cojones on that call um, to go for two there and play for the win. I love the call. Uh, I think you got a chance there, 50-50 play. If you think you got a 60-40 play, go out there and win the game on one play. Um, and, man, it kind of flip LSU's season on its head here and start people starting to think about things like, is there a way? Is there a possibility? And, you know, there certainly is a way for them to win the SEC now. Um, so, wow, uh, just kind of a crazy turnaround. Big win for Brian Kelly. Big win for LSU. Big loss for Bama. Um, I saw, you know, it's been a long time since we saw an Alabama team that had not much to play for on a football team. So that is crazy. I, I saw a tweet, and it is the first time in 11 years they are not playing a game with technically, you know, having college football playoff relevance. That Shout is, out the Bear. I think uh, Chris Felica, is that where you saw that tweet from? I, I think so. Yeah, I think bear. so. Uh, yeah, so, you know, crazy game, uh, crazy win for LSU. Looked like the better football team through most of the game there. Um, Alabama ends up as a two-loss team this way through the season who's a handful of points away from 9-0 and and simultaneously, like, a handful of points away from, like, 5-4. and Yeah, what a strange season, right? The Florida State game, we all thought they were just going to be cheeks this year. And then they, you know, figured it out to a point. Then they go get waxed at home. Um, granted, LSU in the daytime, LSU in the nighttime, that is two separate atmospheres. That is just, it's like playing uh, in your backyard versus playing in the most challenging environment in all of couch football. And Alabama experienced that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what happens on the field. And, I mean, when you make Alabama have to throw the ball 51 times, and then Bryce Young is under 50% completion percentage with that, you have done something right, and you are going to have a really good chance of winning the game, and obviously they did. Um, I'm surprised Alabama didn't stick to the run game more. Uh, just, you know, my my thought on watching the game, Jameer Gibbs uh, went 15 carries for 99 yards. Uh, I, I thought they could have ran him more. I mean, you know, a lot of people want to say that, uh, you know, outside of Blake Corum, if he got more touches, he'd be your other running back potential Heisman. Well, give him the opportunity. You brought him in from Georgia Tech for a reason. Give him the rock. Make it so it's not all on Bryce Young. You let the offensive line lean on people. You're Alabama. You have an unreal offensive line. Uh, they don't need to be in pass pro 51 times. Um, you know, I just think I would have done things a little bit differently if I were Bama on the offensive side because your defense kept you in there. I mean, they held LSU to seven points in the first half seven points in the third quarter and 10 in the fourth. I mean, when you're playing on the road, 24 points in the SEC and you got Alabama and Bryce Young over there, or Alabama's offense and Bryce Young, you, you assume you're going to go out with, you know, you're going to, you're going to go home with a dub. So just surprising for me, I would like to see them run the ball more. Uh, and, and I think, you know, with having Bryce Young, that's one thing that I would probably fault Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban on is they have gotten away from the run the last two years. Yeah, I mean, you look at the breakdown and how the plays shook out for each team. If I give you blind score, like blind resumes, I tell you the score ends 32-31. You're probably going to take the team that threw the ball 32 times and ran the ball 34 times 
over the team that threw the ball 51 times and ran the ball 30 times. Um, LSU showed a lot more balance in this game, and I agree with you. I'm not quite sure why that was because Alabama had every ability to show the same balance in this game. It's not like the game they got game scripted out of it. They were down at, by one at half. They weren't out of it in the third. Like I think LSU's lead grew to what five at that point. Yeah, um, right there, neck and neck, and at the whole game. And if I'm Alabama, I think I just take over the game with the way you know you can. Um, and certainly, you know, Alabama's high on Bryce Young. They're high on their receiving core. They're high on what they can do through the air. And the, I certainly don't fault them for that. But this almost feels like a game when you kind of box score look and you kind of look back at some of the stats. It makes you a little bit wonder some of the way this game played out and why Jameer Gibbs didn't get a little more opportunity to maybe salt this game away. Yeah, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to beat, you know, a, a, a dead horse here, but I, I would say the, the other thing with Alabama, too, is the wideouts that they've had in the past, they don't have this year. I mean, Ja'Cory Books, he's nice. Um, you know, their tight end, Cam Latou, is, is, is solid. Jermaine Burton, who came over from Georgia, has done absolutely nothing. I don't know what he was thinking. Why did you leave Athens, buddy? I would love to know your answer. There's no way the Dodge Charger that Nick Saban got you was really worth it, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, there's just no reason for Alabama to be throwing the ball 51 times in close games like that to, I mean, Jameer Gibbs caught eight balls. So obviously they're not even matriculating the ball down the field. It's a little check downs here and there. Um, so yeah, just surprising. Um, but I, you know, I, I think instead of focusing on Alabama, everyone, we all need to give credit to LSU, what they did to keep it close, to play, um, really gritty defense. It, you know, you still got to stop Bryce Young. Um, I saw a really funny tweet that uh, you know, I kind of had to take a step back and someone was like, Alabama is wasting Bryce Young. And I was like, what are they talking about? Buddy won the Heisman last year. They went to the national championship. Uh, I mean, so they have two losses for the first time in God knows how long. How can you say you're wasting a player? I just found that absolutely comical. And it just shows the delusion that Alabama fans have when they look at their team after, um, you know, obviously just riding this title wave forever. But kudos to LSU, Brian Kelly. I never thought I would cheer for Brian Kelly, but I was uh, wearing my purple and gold shirt this past weekend. And yeah, it's a nice um, win for Brian Kelly yeah. and a nice win for them. And impressive the way Brian Kelly kind of grabbed that program, who was you know certainly in good shape but teetering a bit, and just immediately brought back them into the conversation where you know there's people talking about how they can make the playoffs. So, so great situation for LSU. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one still with two losses and one of them getting absolutely trounced by Tennessee, which I think is a great segue into Georgia-Tennessee, the game we thought was going to be bananas. I mean, I think the over-under was some 66 points. Like there was – people were expecting fireworks. And I was thinking, yeah. you know, everyone's anointing Tennessee, but Georgia is still king. Like I went to the Orange Bowl last year. I saw those boys play. Like this is different. And I think we learned that it is Georgia – a big drop off and everyone else. And yeah, I, uh, I have a little crow to eat on this game. <clears throat> it was pretty high on Tennessee, particularly high on Smokey over Ugga in that matchup. And, you know, uh, Ugga just proved more, just had a little more fortitude, a little more gumption than I thought that dog had. Uh, Smokey didn't really show up in this one. Georgia kind of dominated this one start to finish. Oh, 100%. And 
Um, I, th- I think with this too, you know, Stetson Bennett proved that he is that guy. Uh, the mailman delivered uh, over and over, made the throws that we thought Hendon Hooker was going to make. Um, as funny as this is going to sound, I'm going to throw my hot take out there right now before we break down this game. Even though Georgia won the game, Tennessee is still the big winner of this weekend. And this is why. Because they, okay, cool. They dropped a five. We'll talk about college football players. They dropped a five there. But they don't have to go to the SEC title game. They don't have to play Alabama. They don't have to play LSU again. They're probably going to be 11-1 and one going into Selection Sunday, Saturday, whatever day it's held on. They're going to be looking so nice because they got absolutely smoked, but yet they smoked LSU. It, it's, it's mind-boggling that, in my opinion, of all the teams, that how they're sitting, one loss, no loss. Like Tennessee's in a better spot than Michigan, Ohio State right now. The only team they're they're not in a better position than is Georgia. However, Georgia is going to have to play LSU or Alabama. Sounds like a really uh, crappy reward for absolutely smoking old Rocky Top. I think they're making the playoff. And 100%. Yeah, I think they got a really kind of beneficial road to it. I mean, uh, I'm not saying they don't deserve it, right? They beat Alabama, they beat LSU, beat Kentucky. Like, they, they took care of business. We'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but can we start to maybe put a little asterisk on the whole beat Alabama thing? Maybe. Well, that's Let's the other thing, too. I, I just later, don't think but... this, is, this isn't your daddy's Bama. This isn't what we've seen in the last 10 years. But the fact that we're talking about something that lasted 10 years is absolutely insane. Um, but it yeah, just we'll shows how much water beating that team holds, it, and, and, and it's going to be that way. And, and it's not that there's an SEC bias or anything like that. It's just that team has been in incredible power for the last 15 years, and you beat them. It just it does a ton for you. Simple as that. Well, I'll put a pin in some of my thoughts on the – Alabama gravity that is the CFP rankings but we do owe Georgia a little bit of credit and a little bit of conversation about this game because this was the biggest game of the weekend this was the biggest game on the slate um and Georgia showed out here I mean chunky start to the game uh I I watched this game start to finish as I'm sure a lot of college football fans did this was the game to watch and you know chunky start to the game i think the game got out real slow overall there was i don't know just some really crazy moments that i kind of wanted to touch on from the beginning of this game just with such how big of a game it was yeah. uh started off with the punt of the year of the decade like the play of the game is a punt missile. in the effort by the gunner i mean the gunner couldn't even catch up to the ball it's unbelievable. That play is like belongs in a museum. I, I wish I had the stat on how long that punt was. Seventy-five was yards. Incredible. Out of the one, out angled perfectly. For, for those that do, didn't see it, the gunners are there perfectly. The ball goes seventy plus yards, and the ball angles out at like the half yard line, all on its own, as the gunners are right there to cover it. It was just gorgeous special teams all around and legitimately changed the beginning of this game. This game flipped into Georgia's control almost entirely, and they scored off of that punt. That punt turned into a score. Well, that punt, honestly, the refs bailed him out. That should have been a, a safety, if not a, you know, a defensive touchdown almost. Oh, so, yeah, we need to talk a little bit about that because – just thought, so, what, what was they looking at? To, There's no yeah. way that, that offensive lineman that picked up the ball – got out of the end zone. There's no yeah, way. Just, There's no way. Just, 
we'll, we'll kind of have to set the scene here. So yeah, yeah. quarterback is in the, in the end zone yeah. um, trying to get a pass off. Defensive lineman for Georgia comes off the edge, hits him as he's almost entering a throwing motion. As his arm is kind of cocked back, ball is ruled a fumble, fumbled into the end zone, actually recovered by a Tennessee player, a big Tennessee player, who then tries to barrel out of the end zone, gets mobbed by three Georgia defenders, goes down as he's trying to get over the goal line, fumbles the ball out of the end zone, and then it is recovered uh, by Tennessee on the one by Tennessee yeah. at their one yard line. Yeah. So the play goes under review, and there's multiple areas that made this review interesting. The first question was, is it a pass? And that's part of it. We'll leave that one up. It, it was borderline. Second part of the play was what was ruled. Was, so it was a fumble and then was recovered by the Tennessee player. Did he get out of the end zone before he went down? And that definitively looked like no. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed pretty obvious from the camera angle. Uh, and honestly, like that was just – a funny play in the sense that you had one, I believe they said the guy was 340 pounds, picked up the ball, and just goes right at the two Georgia defensive linemen. So it's just big boys just beating each other. And he starts to fall forward. And, I mean, it truly looked like his knee was down before the ball wasn't even really near the, the goal line. Yeah, and by the time he was – Certainly down. Yeah. The, by the time he was horizontal, the ball was coming loose. The ball was outside of the, of, of the uh, end zone. Um, and then obviously you've recovered on the one. And I mean, after what five minutes of review, they it stayed. I mean, they they, yeah, they left the call on the field saying that he got out of the end zone. So you're thinking, the okay, the field did stand. Yeah, you're thinking like, all right, you know, that's some number one, a little bit of home cooking for the new number one team in the country. What what happens? Georgia gets the ball back on a not so great punt, and I mean. Stetson dials it up to my favorite wide receiver right now, Lad McConkey. And Buddy just loved the double move down the sideline. Stetson hits him in stride, and boom, Georgia takes off from there. And I don't even know if it's worth it going into detail on anything else because it just seemed like an onslaught. And then the rain came, and it was just, we're bigger, we're stronger, we're just going to beat you into submission. It, It felt like, even though the score wasn't as drastic, it felt like what Tennessee did to LSU. Yeah, probably one of the weirder review rulings I've seen. Like, I've heard a couple different angles on it. Like, I guess the argument is if you couldn't tell whether it was a pass or a fumble, then you can't really make any other judgments on the play. And and thus, you can't change any part of your ruling and it has to stand. So I think that's what they leaned on. But the way it plays out in reality is, is that was the only outcome of the play that definitively didn't happen. All we know is that he didn't recover a fumble and get out of the end zone. That's the only thing that couldn't have happened, and that's the way the play stands. And I think that that might be correct within the rulebook because of how uncertain the pass fumble part was. But wow, what a weird way for it to play out with the only possibility that didn't happen being the ending, the yeah. end ruling. Yeah, um, but yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Georgia looked like the better team. Georgia, like you said, king, proving they are still the king. Stetson Bennett looked great in this game. He had a couple moments. I'm sure you heard the story about how his phone number got leaked in the Tennessee groups 
Um, and he got phone calls all night. And we'll put a little pin on that because dudes definitely put his phone on silent after a couple minutes. Let's I be mean, real. Turn it like, off. Just bothered him doing? for like yeah. 30 seconds. Um, but was, then to hit them right in the face with the phone, Selly, right after he scores his rushing touchdown, dog. Big moment. Just dog in him for sure. On him. He's got that dog in him. Stetson Bennett. Um, and, you know, I just put a little uh, little toot my own horn a little bit. I called out Heisman Dark Horse way you did. back when. You did. If this season shakes out the right ways, Stetson Bennett had a couple big moments in that game. He's going to have a couple big wins, and he's got a chance to do it on some pretty big stages still. I mean, just a name to keep in mind. I don't think it can possibly get down to him, really. I think there's other players who would win it above him, namely maybe my guy Blake Corum, rushing God. Rushing God. But Stetson had a hell of a game this game. You know, I, I think the way this season is starting to play out um, with the inability, granted, the, the weather in Chicago that C.J. Stroud had to play in was ridiculous. Like, I don't think anyone was throwing for over 100 yards. Um, but it did show that he's human, which is cool. Um, I was a fan of that. But, I, you know, Stetson Bennett is now the number two passer in the SEC as far as yardage. Uh, it just seems like whatever he does, it looks so easy. You know, Buddy is dead accurate, can hit the the, the short stuff, intermediate. Obviously, has a great deep ball. I want him to coach J.J. McCarthy like one week just to hit a deep ball. Um, that's my, 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 my bias coming in there. But on a day when Georgia didn't run the ball the way Georgia normally does, they went 37 rushes for 130 yards. Not great, Bob. Um, everything, you know, Stetson did just seemed to be easy. Like, I, I don't know. Like, the guy just makes it seem easy. And I think his arm's a lot better than what people, you know, previously give him, gave him credit for. Um, if Georgia keeps rolling like this, I mean, there's no way the, the guy that led, you know, the defending national championship back to the playoffs, uh, pr- probably undefeated, shouldn't be up for the Heisman. And yes, you called it. I'm probably jumping on the Stetson train. I think now, um, and he's going to have some, he's still a dark horse. He's still not he's the still leading a dark candidate. horse because it's it's not as sexy as the C.J. Strouds of the world or not throwing it 51 times like Bryce Young. But I mean, he gets to play at Mississippi State, who's not the best pass defense against a ranked Kentucky team on the road. So you get to put a little cherry on top of that if you want from for, an SEC, for another ranked SEC win. And then you get to go beat the brakes off of Georgia Tech to wrap it up before going to Atlanta and presumably playing LSU, which Ole Miss still has something to say about that. But he's definitely going to have four more games to put up some gaudy numbers, make a case for an undefeated team that previously won the national championship. I think it's, it's hard to ignore that just because it's not as flashy as – uh, someone like a CJ Stroud. All right. I got a couple last thoughts on this game. I know yeah, we're talking about it for a while, but I'm just going to run through a few things with you and get your thoughts on it. Um, starting with the Georgia home field advantage in this game looked huge. It was loud there. Um, I think we saw five or six pre-snap penalties in the first half out of Tennessee. Three on one drive. Um, thoughts on what you saw out of the Georgia home field. Yeah, I've, I've been to, to Sanford Stadium uh, four times. Um, it's one of my favorite places. And when it gets loud because it is a horseshoe, you get in that end zone there uh, by where the student section is. I mean, it is deafening. And, you know, Georgia Georgia parties before their games, man, they, they go into that ready to rock and roll. And, and they definitely did their part. They were 
they definitely provided that that 12th man uh, for sure. I was very impressed. Um, it, it's an awesome atmosphere every single time you 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 go down to Athens. Yeah, part of why I think we all love college football is getting that big home field advantage. That Saturday afternoon crowd going, they were buzzing there. I think you also saw some real professional things out of this Georgia team. That late shift that they do where their D-line makes that hard shift of position right before the snap, that got Tennessee time and time again. The combination of that with the crowd noise and all those big bodies up front with a sudden shift right before the snap, man, it was at least three plays in the first half where Tennessee got bitten by that specific move. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's, they're, they're run like an NFL team. They have NFL talent top to bottom, and that doesn't matter if someone's a freshman or a senior. Um, so the, the stuff that they're able to do, you don't always, you don't, you rarely see it actually from anyone else. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not surprising that the atmosphere plus the, the, the pro style that Georgia does um, was, you know, difficult for Tennessee, who's, you know, on offense a bit more flashy than they are physical. So, yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Leads me into my last slot on this game. I think the script going into, into this one was, I mean, I, we we heard it from the CFP committee. We, we heard it from Boo. Um, Tennessee's offense, explosive. Um, the way they beat teams is they blow the doors off you with big plays and they score fast. Um, Tennessee was not the explosive team in that game Saturday. Georgia was the explosive team. Georgia bit Tennessee on big plays, and I think we kind of saw a, a flip of the script on what we expected from these teams. Georgia was for sure the more big play hunting explosive team in this game. Yeah, and I mean, well, that, that's the other thing too, though, right? When you talk about Georgia, and I, and I just don't think Georgia was getting the respect they deserve. Um, I, I, think, I think people forget what they did to, to Oregon, who's now number six, right? Oregon's no – that's not a walk in the park. And they dummied them, all right? And then they go and hold Cedric Tillman to 68 yards. They hold Jalen Hyatt, 63 yards. Brew McCoy, uh, 38 yards. Those guys had seven, six, and six receptions apiece. Normally, they're averaging about 150 yards off that, that quantity of receptions. Georgia has absolute ballers in the backfield. They got ballers on the D-line. You don't have time to sit back there and wait for those long routes to, to develop. Um, I, I wasn't terribly surprised that Tennessee wasn't able to do what they did to everyone else against Georgia. Georgia's different. Yeah, the gap Georgia's is different. Massive. They proved it in this game. Georgia is king, and they will stay king for the moment until a big game coming down the stretch that looks like the biggest game for them will be that SEC championship. Well, um, let's, let's so, talk about someone that turned into a pumpkin this weekend. <laughs> and it's not just because it you know we're a little bit removed from Halloween and they wear orange, but – Let's talk about your dad's fighting Irish just putting the boot down on them Clemson oh, Tigers. Oh, yeah. We, in a, what a weekend it is in college football when we get to talk about not one, not two, but three massive games with big playoff implications. Wow. Um, and this was just a massive moment for Notre Dame in this game. Huge win for Marcus Freeman and the Irish. And – um man what a crazy win uh this was for notre dame i mean we got to give a little credit to kevin wise who can't be with us today kevin was big on notre dame in this game was big on notre dame the week prior got both games right has been honed in on the irish he said to do it for the dads and the dads got it done 
They got it done Milwaukee tool style, nothing but heavy duty. This win was everything Notre Dame wanted. They had control of this game from start to finish. Ryan, what did you think about the Fighting Irish in this one? And Clemson, as you said, an absolute pumpkin in this one. Yeah. Um, I was also on the Fighting Irish train. Um, I know you and I were going back and forth a little bit on this one. Uh, You know, I did not expect Notre Dame to rush for 263 yards against that Clemson defense. And, And to me, what that does at the end of the day is it just shows how buttery soft the ACC is. Point blank. Um, you know, I was so impressed with the way that Notre Dame was able to keep everything in front of them defensively, make DJ try and beat you, which he's probably not going to do it because you're not NC State. You're, you're Notre Dame. It's at night. Uh, you run the ball down their throats. Drew Pine only had to throw for 85 yards. Um, and then obviously the cherry on top early in the fourth quarter was the 96-yard pick six where – me as a Michigan fan, I'm over here, you know, cheering like hell because I think it's awesome whenever Dabo loses, much in the in the light of Saban. But just the sheer domination uh, on both lines of scrimmage for Notre Dame was thoroughly impressive, especially when you think of the five stars that Clemson has on both lines. Uh, Notre Dame just wanted it more. I think Dabo um, used the the quote, "We earned this loss." No, 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 no. You were pumped by Notre Dame. Don't take any credit away from them. They did the butt whipping. They earned the win. You didn't earn a loss. They, they smoked you. Yeah. Uh, Clemson just kind of got bullied on the lines in this game. Notre Dame controlled the game. Dude, Notre Dame had two 100-yard rushers in this game, Estime and Diggs. Dude, they controlled this game. They did it on the offensive side of the ball. They did it on the defensive side of the ball. They made big plays on both sides, and Clemson could not get them off the field. Notre Dame just kind of controlled, had longer possessions. They looked like the better team. Clemson looked like some people had thought they looked all season, which was a big fraud, and I think this game just proved it. Clemson is not a good football team this year. Uh, you know, sorry, scratch that. They're a good football team this year. Okay Clemson is team. not a playoff caliber football team this year. And uh, a big loss for the college football playoff landscape because there are many circumstances, I think, where a one-loss Clemson, even if they get that ACC championship, I think there's a way they could get left out here. And I think yeah. you might see that reflected a little bit with their ranking. They dropped pretty big to 10. Well, I just don't think you can be the number four team in the country and go get absolutely dominated by an unranked team. I don't care if it's on the road. You, that just can't happen. Um, and then when you look at some of these other teams that have played more challenging schedules or just had grittier games, uh, I mean, I think we can all say a two-loss LSU because of the wins that they would have stacked up if they remain with, with two losses. I mean, you're going to have win over Bama, win over Georgia. That's going to hold way more water than a one-loss Clemson, in my opinion, just based off strength of schedule, um, the gauntlet that is the SEC West, et cetera. Um, or even, you know, in my opinion, you start looking at a two-loss Oregon, if they get to that case, is still way more appealing than a one-loss Clemson. Um, I, I think this all but sealed the ACC's fate, regardless of what Clemson does from here on out, of getting into the college football playoff. Yeah, I think Clemson is in trouble. Um, I mean, all all their big wins don't look like anything anymore, Pat. 
Yeah. I mean, Syracuse, they're now six and three. NC State, seven and two. Granted, they have a third string quarterback going for them right now. Florida State, which they're six and three. I mean, the ACC is is so mid. I don't know what else to say. They really are. The best thing they got going for them might be that opportunity to beat North Carolina near the end of the season, but it's got to be. They're probably so gonna, I think they might lose that game. Yeah, I like North Carolina. I think North Carolina is a pretty good football team. I think North Carolina might even have a better shot at the college football playoff right now than Clemson. I think so too. I mean, their loss was to Notre Dame, close. I think they, if they run the table, have a very good story, and especially the growth that they that they've um, had. And, and we can dig into the uh, Drake May uh, conversation a little, you know, more down down the line here. But um, just to circle this all back, I, I don't think um, Clemson, and let's maybe we don't do that disservice to North Carolina. I don't think Clemson has a snowball's chance at this year's college football playoff. We'll leave it at that. Notre Dame kicked the snot out of them. Extremely impressive. Dominated on defense. Um, you know, they just yeah. they, they just put the hurt on them. Point blank. And it was awesome to see. Big win for the Notre Dame program. I think a lot of people think this might be kind of a turning point here for the Marcus Freeman reign and very well could be. I kind of pumped the brakes just a little bit. You know, this is still a Notre Dame team that did lose to Marshall this year and did have a very, very, very kind of tough stretch at the beginning of the season. So let's let Marcus Freeman prove it a little bit, but this is definitely a big win, big moment for the team, big moment for the coach, um, and definitely something that they can build on. You know, they are ranked. They are looking like a much better football team. Um, and, yeah, it would be, it would be great to get some momentum down the stretch of this season as they look to the future. 100%. So why don't we touch on um, a couple other games before we move on to some discussion about the rest of the college football playoff rankings. Why don't we go over to the Big Ten? Um, let's talk about Michigan's game uh, pretty briefly, I suppose, because Michigan did exactly what they needed to this game. They did exactly what they have done all year, which is kind of body blow you a little bit in the first half. Um, and then just blow the absolute breaks off you in the second half. Michigan must be the best second-half team in the country. They looked it again this weekend. Absolutely demolished Rutgers in the second half of that game. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of concern in the first half. Um, you know, the, the, the problem with me for, for Michigan is how conservative they are in the passing game. Um, and I think they had a chance to really blow blow Rutgers right out of the water quickly if they wanted to. And they just kind of let them hang around. And this was Rutgers Super Bowl. I mean, they had that stadium sold out. They had the red lights going. Um, I just thought Michigan kind of dangled the carrot for a little bit. And they bit. They, they, they caught it. And obviously, they go into half trailing. You know, social media is ablaze. But Jim Harbaugh, Jesse Minner, they do what they've done all season. They make unbelievable halftime adjustments, both offensively, mostly defensively, and then they just blitzed them in the third quarter. I mean, in Michigan's last four games, they've outscored the opponent 100-3 to in the second half. That's unbelievable. So I don't care that it's Rutgers. This was Rutgers Super Bowl. Um, you know, they had a whole bunch of people there. They had a ton of recruits. Um, Rutgers had to show out. They, they played very well in the first half. I don't want to say that Michigan played terribly and Rutgers didn't. They played very well. Um, defensively, they were about as sound as you could possibly be. Um, and then, yeah, you know, 
Michigan did what they needed to in the second half. I personally would just like to see that throughout the course of the entire game. And I'd like to see a little more creativity in the past game. Um, and that's just me being picky on a team that wins 52 to 17 when it's all said and done. Yeah, Michigan had a slow start in this one. I think Rutgers came out very physical in this game. I will give them their props. They looked like a, you know, they looked good in the trenches in the first half. Um, kind of slowed the game down a little bit and made made Michigan work for it. Um, again, I think you just see why Michigan has one of the best coaching staffs in the country with those halftime adjustments. Uh, again, you see Blake Corum um, being one of the best running backs in the country, if not the best. Um, he produces every single way in every single game. Donovan Edwards right there behind him with another very productive game. And then the Michigan defense just kind of showing out in this game, turning the field time after time. Um, wreaking havoc in this one in all levels um, from the front seven all the way to the back. Um, they controlled this game for Michigan and really like as somebody who bet on Michigan and bet on the spread in this game, you almost felt completely out of it uh, when you took 28 um, and you go into halftime down and Michigan's defense just flipped this field on Rutgers face like four possessions in a row it felt like and Michigan put up points so fast because they had no field that they had to work with because Michigan's defense was crazy in this one yep and, and I loved what they did in the second half and it was as simple as mixing in a little zone defense and they played a freshman quarterback or I'm not sure what wins that was if he's a freshman or sophomore probably owe him a little more than that but I, I don't know uh they Sorry. throw a little zone d you know, the linebacker singing into coverage, pick one, sings into coverage, off a tip ball, pick two. Cornerback just sitting there, jumps the route because he's looking at the whole way in zone coverage, pick three. Next thing you know, you put up 28 points extremely quickly. Um, yeah, pretty pretty much uh, textbook. And, yeah, I, I think that's a nice little sneak preview of what uh, C.J. Stroud's going to see. It's not going to be a lot of man-to-man, you know, after Thanksgiving. I think he's going to have to really read a defense and pick and choose his battles. Um, so I think they're, they're you know, they're going to give them a, a whale of a test. I think they had to pull a little bit out of that. You know, I also went into this game thinking, too, like, this is Rutgers and, like, you're Michigan. Do you spend a little bit of time this week prepping for that big game down down the road? And I'm 100% convinced they did, especially you heard Harbaugh, how that first half was. You heard Harbaugh all week this week yeah. talking about 18 days away, yeah. this many days away from the Ohio State game. Michigan is now dedicating some of their focus, and you really hope they don't kind of lose too much focus on some of the other games on their schedule. Um, I don't think they do. They're a well-coached team, but they know it's time to start kind of putting your eyes towards the games that will decide this season. And I don't think there's much more to say about this one. Michigan looked a better team. They played with their food a little bit in the first half. Like um, but Michigan ended up looking like the top four team that they are. So yeah. let's move kind of quickly over to another team in the Big Ten that I think everybody thought might be reeling this week. A lot of tunnel drama, a lot of off-the-field drama, coming off a real, you know, a, a big loss for them, you know, one that we all consider probably to be their Super Bowl um, this year and – maybe most years, um, but Michigan State looked like a different team in this one. They looked good. They did. Uh, Illinois, not a bad football team. Um, and Michigan State, again, kind of controlled this one start to finish. Michigan State was never out of it. Illinois was trying to claw back just about the whole game, couldn't. 
um, Michigan State kind of, you know, just took control and was just like, we'll take this dub. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was extremely impressed. Um, I, I had a buddy text me, that's why you pay him $95 million uh, at, at the end of that game. And all the credit in the world to Mel Tucker. I mean, the, 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 the incident in the tunnel was nothing that he did, right? He wasn't even there for it. I know he came up the tunnel late and slammed the door. What else is he going to do? What's done is done. He's got to rally the troops. He's missing – what, three starters on defense due to suspension because of that, and they go and just shut the door on Illinois. Um, I mean, I know Chase Brown saw the 136 yards, but it took 33 rushes. That takes a lot of time off the clock. And, uh, you know, Jaden Reed was big, you know, in, in this game, which Michigan totally took Jaden Reed out of the game, the fact that Peyton Thorne was able to find him again. Um, I mean, Keon Coleman's great. He's big, awesome for the jump balls. But Jaden Reed is what stirs the drink for for MSU on, on offense. Getting him involved. I know he had the 16-yard touchdown. I mean, MSU, the, the coaching staff, what they were able to do to really get everyone focused on Illinois and leave all that drama in the back was extremely impressive. That was, that was a heck of a win in Champaign on a blustery day. Yeah, great win for Michigan State. I agree. Mel Tucker deserves a lot of credit for this one. I think this is probably as tough of a spot as you can find to rally the team and win um, against not a bad football team, a team that, you know, had a had a really good shot um, to have a big conference championship appearance, still do have a shot, uh, but took a, took a blow there to their chances. And Big Ten West looking a little more chaotic now, potentially. Um, but maybe that's a good spot for us to kind of wrap up going through some games and maybe shift on over to looking at the landscape of college football as it lays now after the newest college football playoffs polls being released on election night across the world, including in the college football playoff. So why don't we break down kind of how that lays out? Uh, Ryan, you want to kind of run through our top teams as they stand now? Yeah, we'll do what uh, ESPN did and roll out the top seven for everyone at home if they haven't seen them. But uh, you got the Georgia Bulldogs jumping from three to one, uh, rightfully so. Ohio State staying at two. Michigan jumping into the top three there at number three. TCU getting the boost up three spots to go to number four uh, as they are undefeated. So you have your top four undefeated teams um, there. Uh, And then – you follow, you, you follow that out with Tennessee, who you and I both touched on, is still looking real pretty. Oregon at 8-1, and one, and then LSU at 7-2. and two. Um, And I want to call out my biggest beef, real quick, just get it out of the way, is how is UCLA at 12 and USC is at 8? They have the same record, but UCLA has not played as easy of a schedule as USC. They've not had close games with Arizona, with Oregon State. I mean – I think they got that one wrong, but I would flip-flop those two in my book. Everything else seems to, to jive pretty well. And then I want to give a little shout-out to Tulane at number 17, baby. The Wave. Love Tulane. Love that football team. Hoping for the best for them. That angry green wave near and dear to my heart, Ryan. Um, but boy, I, they, they are making a play. They got a good team out there and they are looking to slip into those new year's games. Yep. Um, so yeah, you, you touched on probably my biggest beef with this poll, um, as well, which is, I, you know, I'm not sure if I have as much of a problem with USC at eight or UCLA at 12. It is simply the disparity between the two. 
there is no world where UCLA right now deserves to be four spots behind USC. If anything, UCLA deserves to be ranked above USC. Um, USC does not have a ranked win. UCLA Mm -hmm. has two. If anything, like I said, UCLA is the team that should be ranked higher. Um, My other big beef, uh, you know, man, I, I hate to just harp on it, but I do still wonder how Alabama is number nine. Um, I get it. Alabama on the field looks like a great football team. Alabama as a program elite. Alabama in the past decade basically never been bad. But like at some point you do have to sit and look at the resumes and think about where you're ranking teams because Alabama, if you compare their resumes to the other teams that are around them, they don't stack up. Alabama's only top 25 win is Texas. They have two losses. They're number nine. Look at the teams around them. We have UCLA, who's beaten two top 25 teams, has one loss. Like, uh, at some point, we need to take into account the results of the games in a season that is only 12 games long. I agree. Um, and, and I think, you know, it'll all work itself out. It, it, at the end of the day, you know, you, you hit on it. History plays a, plays an integral role when it comes to rating these teams. And it, Nick Saban is still their head coach. And we're still going to talk about Alabama. And, um, you know, obviously this year with like the Iron Bowl not meaning anything, their season truly is effectively over. I mean, it's not yeah, like they can yeah. get a marquee win later on to be like, hey, we should be that two loss team. That's, that's not coming. Um, I completely agree with you there. Like, I think their season's pretty much done, and I'm not so much frustrated by the way the polls shake out with this because of where Alabama falls, but more so the trickle-down effects that create this kind of, like, circular theory where if Alabama's nine, then holy crap, wow, top ten win for Tennessee and LSU. And then Tennessee and LSU. Yeah, and and Ole Miss. And then all That's this weekend here. All those four teams then gravitationally get sucked into the top 10. And then you have teams like UCLA, Oregon, USC. Like those teams get shaked out of some spots. And, and you're setting up for a way where 7-2 and two SEC championship – or sorry, currently 7-2, and two, eventual two-loss SEC champion LSU um, is going to be right up there near the top. And it, and it just makes me wonder – the reason they're up top is because we're still using Alabama and Nick Saban as the eye test that measures all teams in the top 10. And I don't know. They're, they're not that team this year. Like they are often that team, but they're not that team this year. They are not elite enough that you can make the only teams ahead of them, the teams that beat them. Like it just doesn't work like that this year. No, I, I agree. And, and I think a lot of that will just – get figured out here in the next few weeks, unfortunately. And I know we all want instant gratification, but you can't drop <clears throat> Alabama. I mean, at the end of the day, they lost a one-point game on the road in Baton Rouge in overtime. So it's not like they got their butts kicked. They, they didn't get Tennessee um, or they didn't get LSU to Tennessee, however you want to you want to put that. All Both of their losses have been last second, super close. So I, I don't think we need to harp on where Bama is too, too much. That's going to play out. I think the really interesting thing that I'm taking from this one is four Pac-12 teams in the top 13 for the first time since 2016. 
that's going to be a little what the heck is going on here as it all plays out because you still get USC, UCLA. Um, Utah, Oregon still has to play. Then you're going to get the Pac-12 championship. Very interesting to see what comes to light. I I think Oregon wins out. I, I, I think the progression they've had this year, uh, almost think getting shellacked by Georgia was a good thing. Is a great opportunity for Dan Lanning to reset and just be like, hey, guys, that's that's the staple. That is the upper echelon of college football. You know what the gap is. Here's what we need to do to get there. And you've seen the growth of Oregon throughout the course of this year. So I think Oregon has an awesome opportunity in the last you know three weeks of the season to really build its resume for the college football playoff. Um, and, and I will say is as a Michigan fan, as a Big Ten person, I'm surprised how weak – outside of the top two teams, the Big Ten is this year. And, and that really worries me because in my mind, there was a scenario where Michigan goes into Columbus, they're both undefeated, and they just play an absolute hell of a game, right? It's 2006 all over again. And we're talking about, okay, do you put Michigan and Ohio State both in? I don't think it's setting up this that way this year, Pat, because of both of those teams' strength of schedule. I mean, we're getting to the point now where – Ohio State struggles at Northwestern, regardless of the weather. You're Ohio State. You should run the ball down Northwestern's throat, period. Um, we're getting to the point now where our boy Boo is saying, well, they played Notre Dame. That's a good win. Two weeks ago, that win wasn't anything. And I think that's where Notre Dame is getting boosted because of someone like a Clemson who you and I don't like. So it's all this weird – where – People are on this sphere, and I think in just the Pac-12 and the SEC, it's going to be very interesting. And that's why, at the end of the day, as funny as this all sounds, the person sitting in the best position is freaking Tennessee because they're going to be 11-1, and 100%, and not have to play in a title game. And that's that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It is looking like a bit of a tough road for the loser of the game in the Big Ten to – make the playoffs i think if that if, if you're a michigan fan if you're an ohio state fan and you're working for you're rooting for that backup chance i think you're looking for a tcu loss this week to texas i think you're looking for the pac-12 to kind of you know Chaos. macerate itself um and you want the winner of the pac-12 to end up with two losses because i'm not so sure a one loss version of a pac-12 team that didn't win the championship is finding its way uh, into the playoff over a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State this year. Yep. Um, the other thing you might need is just some disdain from the committee towards the ACC because I still think a chance with how poor Michigan and Ohio State's strength of schedule kind of looks compared to its typical levels um, that you might have a – one loss ACC champ UNC or a one loss ACC champ Clemson at least being put right there neck and neck. Um, yeah. Well, and, and that's where, when you look at North Carolina's schedule, they're playing Wake this year or this year, this week. And you kind of hope Sam Hartman falls back into form and maybe gives those big 10 teams a little gift. Um, and then you hope that North Carolina hands Clemson the second loss, wiping them out. You hope for chaos in the PAC 12, which we all know that can happen. And then the SEC is the SEC. Um, you want Georgia? Yeah. Yeah, Georgia. Run through them. 
run through. Um, so. so that's probably most of what there is to talk about with the college football playoff rankings. Uh, a little more clarity this week in terms of who we think is going to go. Um, you can kind of shape out the big games in your head and see a couple paths for teams to crack into the top four. It looks a little more open in terms of the amount of teams that can crack their way into those last couple spots now. Uh, so, Ryan, why don't you give me your thoughts on the way the rest of this season shakes out? Why don't you update me on who you have making that final couple games in college football this year? Yeah, so my final four um, at number one is Georgia, as, as I alluded to. I think they're kind of that invincible team. I think they're going to run through the SEC. They're going to run through the playoffs. I think they're going to be back-to-back natty champs. Uh, number two is Ohio State. I think they edge Michigan. Yeah, I'm trying to take the bias out of it, Patrick. I think they edge Michigan and Columbus. I think that game is close. I think it's like a 38-35. I think it's a fantastic game. And I think that inevitably inevitably puts Michigan at number five in the college football playoffs when it's all said and done. Going to the Rose Bowl, solid consolation prize. Um, I got Oregon at number three as a one-loss Pac-12 team with their only loss being to Georgia. And then Tennessee sliding up into number four. Um, I have TCU actually losing this weekend um, at Texas. And then I think, you know, the Big 12 just being the Big 12 and not playing any defense, I don't think you're going to be able to get a one-loss TCU, you know, in over a Tennessee, in over an Oregon, so on. So Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, and then uh, Tennessee. So I got a little craziness going on, I guess, compared to yours. Um, I I agree with you. Georgia, for me, from the SEC, gets that one spot. Um, I have switched over the past – week or so and I'm willing to take Michigan now at the end of the year in the Big Ten I'll give you a couple quick bits on why just watching that Ohio State team in the trenches they look to me built like last year and I think Michigan has proven that they are just as good as last year if not better with the variety of the run game and the way that they can kind of work a team when they have the ball Um, that I think they will be able to do that offensively against Ohio State again this year. And I think the defense has enough in the tank to be able to make some plays on on the limited drives that Michigan will hopefully be able to give Ohio State. I think that Michigan limits the amount of time that Ohio State's able to have the ball. Michigan gets off the field a little bit. Um, and that's enough to get it done. I just it looks a little clearer as I've seen Ohio State in the trenches and trying to run the ball the last couple of weeks. And I'm I'm willing to kind of you know make the homer pick at this point. So I'll put Michigan in there at number two. Um, at number three, I agree with you. I think Oregon um, has evolved into a really nice football team, and I think they're going to kind of run through um, the Pac-12 down the stretch here. I think, you know, I just don't really respect USC. I don't think they're a put together team. I think they can flash some offense at you, but that's about it. Um, UCLA doesn't jump off the page of me. Um, so I, I think Oregon gets it done. I think they, um, get there at the three spot. And then at four, I agree with you. I think Tennessee gets in kind of almost somewhat on the hype of the resume and the story and the splash they made up to number one with some huge wins and big games that I don't know if you look at the paper resume, look as strong as they do in the vibrant college football feels we got from their run. But I think they grabbed that four spot. But man, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation with some teams feeling kind of upset because I got UNC 
um, running the table in the ACC, beating Clemson and being a one-loss ACC champion, who I think would have some fair gripes about being left out there at number five. And then I got an Ohio State team that's going to be a damn good football team all year um, and be really talented and maybe one of the few most talented teams in college football. I got them losing that game to Michigan, but they're going to be left there, you know, in my rankings, maybe at number six. And wow, that kind of feels like some gripes from Columbus would be very reasonable too. There's just a lot of teams that can be open to make a crack into the top four this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this would be the perfect year to have had that college football playoff expansion. When you look at this top 12, like some of the matchups you could get is, would be so much fun. And, and I really feel uh, bad for us as college football fans that we don't get to experience that. And, and I wish there was another way to make the new year six bowls more important and, uh, you know, players not sitting out and stuff like that, because this year would be the ultimate where oh, it almost seems like you could just throw a coin and that's who's going to win. Right. Like there's just, just so expanded much already. Let yeah. me bathe in it, please. I need it. I need it, Ryan. I need it so bad. Just let it wash over me. You know, at this point, just give me a 64 team bracket. Let's run it March Madness style. Give me everybody. Everyone. Just give me games, man. Give me games. You know, actually, Patrick, um, total tangent, but that would be awesome. Get rid of this non-conference BS. Get rid of that. Let's jump right into conference play. Let's play 10, 11 games. And yeah, give me a bracket, baby. Let's have a month of playoff football. Just like the, just like the NFL, but better. We might need a whole nother episode just to talk about this idea because man, just give me that non-con in the bracket. Give me that, give me that late night December game against Notre Dame in the Sweet 16. Ooh. I mean, could you imagine that first Saturday with 64 games of just do, 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 do all up on your TV screen? I'd have seven oh. TVs going. It'd be awesome. Give me, you know, somebody throw a bag at Scott Hansen and give me seven <laughs> hours of commercial free college football playoffs, dude. Oh, I would pay an absurd amount of money for that. 100%. Just sign me like hundreds of dollars subscription fee. I'll do whatever it takes. Well, hey, last one before we go. Um, top three for Heisman. Who who we got now? What's your updated one after week nine or week ten? All right, so why don't we just you know clear the air? Uh, odds as it stands, C.J. Stroud's the favorite after uh, going into week eleven. Now plus one forty five. Hendon Hooker has dropped after that loss. Is now plus three hundred at number two. And Blake Corum sits there plus 600 after being plus 1,400 last week. Blake Corum crawling all the way up to number three. Uh, Caleb Williams and Bo Nix wrap out the top five with Drake May and Stetson Bennett behind them. Um, So for me, you know, it, it really comes down to the way these games play out down the stretch. You know, you hear two guys in the top three C.J. Stroud and Blake Corum, who are going to play each other on the biggest stage for all the marbles for the Big Ten Championship, almost. You know, they got to win the next game, but almost. And for the college football playoff, and maybe for the Heisman Trophy. Maybe. You know, I still think my pick is Hendon Hooker. I think Hendon Hooker has a couple opportunities down the stretch to put up some silly numbers. Um, he does not have the same opportunity that everyone has to lose a game. And if we're going on my theory for the college football playoff, then Michigan gets it done in Columbus and gets the upset done. 
then CJ Stroud, I do not think wins the Heisman because I do not think he really had a big win this year. And I, you know, I see a world where I don't think Blake Corum makes the running back leap, even though he got the big game win. I think they still give it to a quarterback this year. There's just too many damn good quarterbacks this year. Like we could rally him off like CJ Stroud, Hendon Hooker, Drake May, Stetson Bennett, Bryce Young. Like it's crazy how many good quarterbacks there are. I think it goes to a quarterback this year. So I go Hendon Hooker. Um, but, you know, I, I think if Ohio State beats Michigan, I think it goes to Stroud. And I think Blake Corum's only chance is two to three touchdowns against Ohio State where he just looks great. But I really think it – I am now feeling with Vegas, I think it goes to one of those top three. I don't think it goes to anyone on the Heisman list, despite some of those dark horses that I loved. I don't think it goes to anyone below Blake Corum. Okay, interesting. I mean, I, I love all that. I probably could reiterate the same thing, fall on the same one. I think you're right. A lot of it is going to be based on a Michigan Ohio State game at the end of the game or at, at the end of the day. Another thing too, Michigan plays Nebraska this week. Jim Harbaugh loves doing that thing where he pumps his running back with four or five touchdowns. You saw Haskins do it twice last year. Blake's already done it twice this year. He could easily be over 20, 20 touchdowns with two more games to go and obviously the showdown in Columbus. So I think if your theory of Michigan beating Ohio State and the numbers that Blake Cormola put up, they will have been better than Derrick Henry's and Mark Ingram's when they won. Does a quarterback always have to win? Point blank. That's the that's what it comes down to. No one, no other running back would probably have as good of a case as Blake. And if he doesn't win with a win um, over Ohio State in Columbus, I don't know if we'll ever see a non-quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. It, you know, Blake's having an incredible season. He looks the part. He's got the stats to back it up. And if he beats Ohio State, he will have done it on the biggest stage because there's no way Michigan's winning that game without, without a, huge a lot of yards from Blake yeah. Corum, probably a touchdown or two from Blake Corum. Um, so there, he's got a real shot. He's definitely not out of it. He's, you know, almost in my, in my mind now, nearly a shoe in uh, for a finalist spot. They're going to take a running back to new york and i think blake's going um so you know great season for him here with with four finalists and i'll I'll give you my four finalists and i'll give you who who my winner is so your four finalists we already listed blake corum i think cj stroud makes an appearance such a big name obviously stetson bennett and bo nix and my winner i hit on it earlier in the show is i think it's going to be stetson bennett i think the guy who won the natty last year uh, will probably finish second or first in the SEC in passing yards. Um, yeah, we'll have his team undefeated going into the playoffs. To to me, that's where it goes. The best player on the best team, most valuable player on the best team. However you want to do it, I will go Stetson Bennett. So I will take a a bigger leap down and uh, hopefully cash in on a bit more uh, moolah than if anyone else were to win. A bit more moolah. Talk about a lot more moolah. Stetson <laughs> Bennett plus 1,600 as it sits right now would be a huge cash out. Uh, I, I do like what you got to say. You know, I kind of was on it earlier. I mean, there is uh, there there's now a route for Georgia to easily be the number one team in the country. And a good quarterback on the number one team in the country always has a shot. Uh, we got to probe you on one thing, Ryan. Uh, Hendon Hooker, not a finalist in yours. Was that an oversight or a choice? I think if they take five to New York, then he would be on it. But I guess I was just leaving it at four. Um, you're going to talk about um, one being in the SEC, winning the SEC title game, uh, Blake Corn being that number one running back, whether they're in the Big Ten championship game or not. 
C.J. Stroud either being the Big Ten championship quarterback or just being C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Sorry, it holds a lot more water than being Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. And then Bo Nix because he'll be a one-loss top three Oregon team winning the Pac-12. Yeah, I think my switch there is I, I can't see Bo Nix hopping into the top group there. I, I think I, I roll with Hendon Hooker probably on some of the bigger Heisman moments earlier in the season. So we'll see. I mean, Oregon has the what chance. What have you done for me lately? What have you done yep. for me lately? And I don't know. We'll it, see. That would be that would be a great a great call if you're calling Hendon Hooker out of the finalists. Man, that that's a little tough to see for some people right now. I like the bravosity. Um, we'll see. Great word. Great word. I'm not really sure if it is a word. Bravosity. <laughs> word of the day. Bravosity. Like always, educational here on First and Inches. Ryan, thank you for joining us this week. We will have Kevin, your regularly scheduled host, back at some point when he gets his nose out of the books. Um, but Ryan, it was great to have you on. Uh, lovely conversation as always. And man, it's going to be fun down the stretch here. I can't wait. And uh, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't give Kansas a shout out for beating Oklahoma State, taking down the field goal post, taking it to the river, and then their football team posting, we don't need a GoFundMe. Elite. Let's go. Social media, Twitter trolls, the age of college football has evolved and we love it. Ryan, it's been a pleasure. Everybody, we will see you again either this week or next week to talk more college football as always on first and inches we are sponsored by milwaukee tool ryan nothing but heavy duty